I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. Ready to get 30, 30, ready to get 30, ready to get 20, 20, 20, ready to get 20, 20, ready to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month. So give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Hello all, it's Rugby Dungeon time again. Thank you for listening, thank you for subscribing, and thank you for all your very kind reviews on iTunes, and one not-so-kind review, so not too keen on you. If you want to find us, you can find this show at The Rugby Dungeon, you can find me at Jay Beardmore, and today I'm very happy to say we have Chris Bentley on the podcast. Chris Bentley is with the Exeter Chiefs, he spent 10 years there in total. He's also had stints at Oral, Beerit, and in New Zealand. Fascinating guy, if you like the Exeter Chiefs, this is all things Chiefs and a little bit of Bath, strangely enough. But before any of that, let's give a quick thank you to our sponsor, Field & Flower. Field & Flower are the providers of grass-fed meat delivered directly to your door. You can do one of many things. You can go on their website, Field & Flower, pick one of their many, many boxes which will be suitable for you or your family. But if you're one of those annoying fussy eaters, you can just assemble your own box with 170 cuts of meat and fish which they have available. Go onto their website fieldandflower.com and use our code rugby20 for your discount and then sit back and watch some rugby listen to a podcast and it will magically appear on your door okay now it's time for our podcast with chris bentley hope you enjoy it how are you chris i'm very well um looking forward to being a part of the rugby dungeon (laughs) well thank you very much interestingly you gave me a little tidbit before which i had no idea about there's an extra chiefs podcast yeah, it was something I'm, well, I've, I've done radio shows and whatever with Chiefs for a while, and um, we've got a local boy at the radio station said he was quite keen to do something, so we've done a few editions this year, and I've, I've managed to step back from the microphone, and we've got Harry Williams and Alec Hepburn from the first team, two props who are... Oh, brilliant. I think the terminology is interesting individuals <laughs> um, uh, running the show. We've got, we've got Mark Ryan is looking after the deck, and then the players are going to be the talent, which is fantastic that is a superb idea i have yes. been talking to someone in manchester about doing the yeah. same same for sale sharks so i think yeah. it's just so important to get a bit more player fan interaction as, as much as you can really i agree i think that the biggest value that most rugby clubs have is their players and um when when fans can get a bit closer and see a bit more of an insight to the human nature of them as opposed to the uh the gladiators in the arena the better for the game yeah, well, I mean, not too much, of course, but uh, yeah, uh, you know, well, uh, controlled we, we, exposure. We might get to that if you ask me about There's certain things I will not discuss. So <laughs> I'll explain why I won't discuss as well. So is the podcast going well then? It's, it's, it's in its infancy, um, but we, we, the problem is we're all troglodytes, so we're sl- slowly understanding technology. So we, we've got it on a YouTube now, and we're trying to get it formatted so we can put it onto iTunes as well. Ah, um, right, okay. So we're, we're slowly getting there. We're, we're getting sort of... Just shy of about a thousand listeners for we had a Jack Noel one which went down quite well. I bet, yeah. Now most of my listeners are not actually UK based. I've got a few extra Chiefs fans. I'll apologise to them right now because this might be a little bit too basic. But for the benefit of our listeners abroad, why don't you just give us a bit of background about Exeter Chiefs, who they are, a bit about their history? Yeah, well, um, the Exeter Chiefs have been going for a long time. We're one of the country's oldest clubs. Um, if you come in the, the, the players' corridor, we've got team photos up from 1871 onwards. Um, but when the game went professional, they probably missed the boat um, and were languishing in the fourth division when we, when the divisions came into wow. existence. And it was about, I think it's about 19 years ago, uh, an individual called Tony Rowe came, became involved. And on team photos, he came on one year as chief sponsor. And the following year, he was managing director. And um, he's, from behind the scenes, steered the Chiefs through the leagues. So there's 2,000-plus clubs in the UK. Um, the Exeter Chiefs, through the course of about 12, 13 years, pushed up through the leagues, 
languished in the championship for four or five and then finally got the formula right and got into the premiership. Um, having got into the premiership, uh, the promised land, rather than just sort of stay down the bottom of the league and, and battle it out, they've actually pushed on and flourished. And year on year, the club has got better and better. This last season, we finished second in the Premiership, uh, quarter-finalists in the European Champions Cup. And the squad this year now has 14 current international rugby players. Wow. Um, so it's it's a real underdog story of, of succeeding and getting in there. And, you know, we've bloodied the noses of every team in the Premiership. We've beaten everybody at least once. Um, and, and we have an academy that's the pride of the nation, which is blessed by geography because we're down in the, the southwest of England. There's nothing else down here. And there yes. seems to be something in the water, especially in Cornwall, that produces very good rugby players. If, you, if you're a young boy from Cornwall or Devon, you, you invariably want to be a rugby player rather than a soccer player. Strong tin miner in the summer and farmer during the winter or something. And fishermen as well. Exactly. So they've got the forearms. Yes. And the genetics are just a bit peculiar. They, they, they sort of, they're born about eight foot tall. <laughs> um, and and keen, to, keen for the, the, the aggressive nature of rugby union. You know, I've often wondered about Exeter. I wonder if they've got some sort of record for the most different clubs faced over the last five, well, since, since they've entered the Premiership. I would think we've, we've, we've played a lot of teams, yeah. Um, although in Europe this year, we're, we're repeating against Bordeaux and Claremont, which is, a, which is a bit of a difficult one because Claremont are a hell of a team and Bordeaux are getting better and better. But um, we, we've certainly got a, a rich history of clubs we've played over the last few years and if you, if you go through the championship era as well you know I, I played for the club from 2004 to 2012 mm-hmm. and I remember playing against Wharfdale but I also remember <laughs> running out against London Irish so and then Harlequins and Northampton so there's there's games against in, in, in a player's career against and there's no disrespect to Wharfdale I think they're a brilliant club and they're one of the few clubs that can play a sevens team with um, brothers the Vivian brothers played uh, representing Wharfdale um, in a sevens comp or, or Vivian's bonkers. Yeah, like I've actually met Hugh Vivian out uh, when Saracens played London Irish. Yes. And he revealed to me his proudest rugby moment was, was playing that sevens tournament because yeah. it's him and I think he's got six brothers or has he got seven brothers? That's his, he's got six brothers. Amazing. Uh, they, they, yeah. Um, and Well, his, his nickname's Huge and he's, he's one of the poshest men I've ever met. Yeah, he's a, um, he's a very nice fella. He is, isn't he? Well, he, cap- he captained me. This, this, see, I, I'm a right stutter with my rugby. He captained me England students' trials in 1999. Amazing. Northern universities against the Southern. Now, I'm guessing Northern universities. Yes. That you went to university somewhere in the Northwest. Yes. I looked very at w- true. the way you're from using the genius, which is Wikipedia. Yeah. Uh, and then I noticed, well, you know, Northeast. And then uh, you've got this big stint down in the middle of the country. Yes. Well, I, I, well if, I'll give you a potted history of me if you want. I was, yes, um, please. I was born in the northeast. Mum and dad studied up at Durham. Mm-hmm. But then we settled back on the Wirral because my parents are from there. I started rugby uh, as an 11-year-old at a club called Coldy, which have done quite well of recent times, about yeah. level four. Um, and my, my, my father and my uncle were both pretty good, good in the north, northeast. My uncle captained West Hartlepool. Captain in the north of England, was an England trialist. My dad lost his eye when he was 24, which curtailed a bit of his rugby, but he continued to play until he was about 45. Good God, not playing rugby? Yeah, 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 with one eye. Oh, um, well, sorry, sorry, he didn't lose his eye playing rugby? He didn't, no, he didn't lose his eye playing rugby. Like, he lost his eye uh, in an instant off the field. Oh. Um, but, it, but it curtailed his rugby career when he was hotly tipped to be quite good. Um, so dad stood back and allowed me to play for two or three years on my own to ensure I was happy. Yeah. Uh, as a rugby player. When he saw that, he started to coach and, and be involved in my development. So from the age of 13 to 18, he was pretty much the coach of the team I was in. Ah. Um, so from Coley, I moved to a club called New Brighton. Yep. Played my first senior rugby for New Brighton. Second team, we won the, the, the Wirral Floodlit Home Base Cup for second teams, which was my first ever silverware. Um, and then uh, I was 19 years old. I was at Liverpool University and I got a call from Sammy Southern, who was the director of rugby at Oral Rugby Union. Yep. Famous club Oral. And he said, Ben Josh, um, Charlie Kishani's been suspended. We'd like you to come and play for us in my Dunbar Premiership too. That's a <laughs> Sammy Southern impression. And um, I went to play for Oral in I Dunbar Premiership too as a 19-year-old. Um, got picked for the England 21s, played with a, a ridiculous team there with Flatman and Ben Cohen. And there was, there was amazing players. And I was basically on the edge, didn't really play much. 
Um, I had five great years with Arnold. Um, Wigan Rugby League came in, bought the club. So I, I went from being this young buck at university, philosophy student, to a professional rugby player. Okay. Um, from Liverpool, from Oral, uh, saw the real hard face of professional sport because we were owned by Wigan Rugby League. And Dave Whelan uh, at Wigan Rugby League basically said, at one point, um, I love Wigan Rugby League. I love Wigan football. I'm not so keen on you boys at Oral. If you haven't got a contract, I'm not, I'm not going to give you another one. If you have got a contract, you won't be getting renewed. And at the end of the year, the whole squad left. What was, what was reasoning for that? Oh, good question. I, I've heard a few different rumours. I was only 24 years old when it happened. Um, the, the, the simple one was probably decided that it didn't make sense to have the three teams within Wigan. We wouldn't, the city couldn't support three elite-level teams. I thought the it whole was, idea of Morris Lindsay and Dave Wooden coming in, though, it was to sort of almost unify it and put Wigan on the map. Well, it was, but I think perhaps when they realised just the size of, of the task in hand, they decided they already had Wigan Rugby League flying high. Wigan soccer was doing very well. There was a silly one that he wanted to call us, Wigan Rugby Union, but the Wigan Rugby Union Club would not sell their name, so we were always going to remain as Oral. Oh, really? Um, and anecdotally, that was thrown out as a reason. Um, the, the only people who'll know will be Morris Lindsay and Dave Whelan. But needless to say, we had a team... Um, well, I mean, I can... It we had Steve Bretter was our tight head, Simon Ems was the loose head, Hooker was Neil McCarthy, who's now head of Gloucester Academy, I think. Mm -hmm. uh, it was myself, uh, and it was a bit of Charlie Cassani. I got injured in my last season. We signed a Peter Palapoy, the Samoan international, back row Ben Lewis, Alfie Tuala, Nick Easter, um, <laughs> Steve Suiallo, scrum half, Phil Jones was the England Day fly half. We Steve Suiallo, the guy ended up in Newport. He went to, was it Harlequins for a while? He's Rodney Suiallo's brother. Right, so Rodney was an all-black. Steve was a Samoan international. Uh, we had Wade Kelly at 12. 13 was Andy Craig, who played Scotland um, for about 20, 30 caps. Wingers, Simon Horton on one side, Wes Davis on the other, and our fullback. I've forgotten our fullback's name. But we had, we had a bonkers It wasn't Simon Mason, was it? Simon Mason was there the year before. Uh, he, no, he wasn't. He came the year after when they started to go not so well. And he, he was there when they were really good, and then he went back when it went wrong for a bit. Yeah, I've played against Simon Mason a few times because yeah. he's still quite active in, like, Northwest rugby. Well, he, he, was, he had a lot to do with Coldy as well. Yeah, uh, I played against Coldy playing he's a good rugby man. Seven. Simon Mason is, without doubt, a good rugby man. He's invested in the game. He had a cracking time with Ulster because he could kick the ball well. Yeah, um, he, um, he won a Heineken Cup. He most certainly did. Which is um, just, just an incredible, incredible achievement when uh, he was down you know, in Broughton Park uh, a few years ago. Yeah, exactly. But he's just, just a top boy. Just a top boy. Everyone I've, I've, I've met that comes across him says he's a super guy. Yeah. Um, so, so I was at Oral. It all went wrong. Um, and I managed to get a medical joker to go to Beeritz. So I had six months over at Beeritz in uh, League National Rugby. Um, which was absolutely bonkers. I, I was I got lifted training with Serge Betson, got changed next to Dimitri Gashvili, <laughs> uh, Thomas Lee Evremon, uh, Patrice Lejiske was the coach. Didn't speak any French. Well, I spoke GCSE French, um, and uh, I tried really hard for three months, and then I realised it wasn't going to happen for me. So for three months, I tried really hard to enjoy myself and ate lots of croissants and steak frites and bra. And what was it about Beirut that didn't quite mix with you? I I don't know. We played. Who was it we played? Montpellier. Yeah. And we lost at home at Stade Aguilera. And we were in a team meeting and Legisque was going bonkers, shouting and screaming. And I leaned across to Jack Isaac, who was an Australian expat living out there. I said, Jack, what's he saying? He says, Bentos, he's blaming it all on you. I was like, probably isn't going to work for me, this. Um, for whatever reason, my face didn't fit. And I think retrospectively, looking back on my career, sometimes your face doesn't fit. Mm. Um, so over there, it didn't. Um, I'd been out of the UK scene for a while and there weren't a huge amount of opportunities on the horizon, but Exeter came in and said they were keen on me and I remember playing against them. So I signed a two-year deal with Exeter and had a whale of a time. First year we finished second in the, the second division and then the second year we finished sixth and in the second year was a real transitional year. Rob Baxter came in as the head coach and we were moving to Sandy Park and Rob said, you know, really want you to stay a part of the club big plans but at this time I was 27 and thought rugby's a finite career and I'd re-established my currency in the UK 
and there was an mm. opportunity to go over to New Zealand and play for a brand new team in the MPC, coached by Todd Blackadder. So I went and played two seasons for Tasman in the MPC. Um, punctuated my MPC season with a six-month stint in Edinburgh because the MPC is only four months at a time. And although I, I could have stayed over there and bummed around New Zealand, I, I like playing rugby. So I went off and played Magnus League with Edinburgh six months, back to Tasman, by which time Exeter were really flying. And I made, what was it a cynical decision? A decision to go back to Exeter because I could see there was a future for me there beyond rugby. Yeah. Um, which is which is exactly, the plan worked out perfectly. I, well, probably a year earlier than I would like, but I got back to Exeter, uh, played, I ended up in, in seven seasons with the Chiefs, 125 games, um, uh, part of the squad that won promotion, had a little bit of a run in the Premiership, played some European games, and then joined the corporate team. And for the last five years, I've been selling everything to do with the Exeter Chiefs, from shirt sponsorship programs, advertising boards, and anything we can sell, I'm probably the man you talk to. Well, feel free to plug anything at any time you want. <laughs> um, but there's, no, there's nothing to plug. It, it, it sells itself. I'm like a fisherman with as many fish jumping in the boat. It's a, good, it's a good product and the Chiefs are going well. Of interest, you moved to Edinburgh. Was that yes. at the same time as Blackadder made his move to Scotland? Or was it completely uh, unrelated? No, Blackadder had, Blackadder had gone back to New Zealand. Mm-hmm. Um, but he, rec- I think he might have recommended me to somebody at Edinburgh. Right. Because uh, they knew an awful lot about me. And I'd played the MPC season. And we, we were a brand new team and we were just establishing ourselves. So I think we like won three, lost six or something like that. Is there any bit of you with any trepidation about the state of your local rivals now that Bass. Todd? Yeah. 100%. I think Blackadder is a brilliant coach. And I think he's he's he could be very, very good for Bath. And, and I've read a few pieces in the press where him and Tabai Matthews have gone in and they basically said there wasn't much that needed changing. The players mm-hmm. are all there, that it was more of a, a mental shift yeah. uh, to, to, to give them the freedom to realise how good they are. And, you know, the results they've put in so far, you think, yeah, it's about right. And and Blackadder for me is very similar to Baxter, very analytical, mm-hmm. not too emotive, doesn't doesn't live in the moment, lives a much broader spectrum, but cracking coach. And he, he improves players, just as, just as Robbie does at our place. Give me an example of that. I couldn't catch a restart to save my life. And Blackadder would spend hours. If you if you wanted to do extras, Todd would do them with you. Wow. Uh, if you developed a problem in your game or he saw a problem, he'd sit with you on the video. He'd show you it. He'd go and work with you. He understood where you were coming from as a player um, because he himself had sort of been there and done everything. Uh, really humble. But, but everybody that was in the squad and was making the effort to be a professional rugby player, he was happy to help them in any which way, both on and off the field. Yeah. Um, and he's similar to Robbie the, the, at the top end they all seem to have very similar characteristics mm-hmm. when he moved over to Exeter from Biritz that must have been one hell of a jump to come over to somewhere where you've previously been at literally the highest level of the game and then you've been told right okay Div 2 is open was yeah. it the relationship with Blackadder when sorry Blackadder Baxter when you left that then got you back um, well, my relationship with Rob was strained when I first went to Exeter because I'd played five seasons at Oral against him. And when I was a young up-and-comer, my, my attitude was, as a second row, you've got to go around and thump people. So I'd <laughs> had some cracking fights with Rob. Um, yeah. And when I signed for Exeter, we, we'd um, the year before, we'd, we'd beaten them in the Power Gen Shield final at Twickenham. And I'd properly given... I'd had a right go at Rob. So our first year, we started every game in the second row together and we hardly spoke. Really? Like, we'd, we'd kick crap out of each other for two years, or for five years. And then I've turned up, no media training whatsoever, and I've given this bonkers interview saying, I used to fight with the Baxters and beat them up and blah, blah, blah. And the, the, the headline of the Express and Echo on my arrival at the Chiefs was Enforcer Checks In. <laughs> so all the, all the boys called me the Enforcer and just ripped it out of me for a year. Um, yeah, I bet. Well, I mean... But, but, but Rob, Rob and I, second year, when he started to coach, he could see, I'm just a rugby man. I just love rugby. I'm just bought into it. Um, and and I, I like to think he, he saw a bit of me. And we just kept in touch. Um, and, and, and then it was actually through my agent that, that I got told, because I was over in New Zealand, that the Chiefs were keen. And so I had a few conversations, wanted to make sure that I hadn't burned the bridges, because I'd left. The club motto is Semper Fidelis. Always mm-hmm. loyal. Um, but the, they were keen to have me back. And... I played a decent part of, of, of the next five years of the Chiefs when I went back. So now you're with Exeter. 
and they've done so well as we just discussed fourth division all the way up second in the prem and hopefully yeah. one step further sometime soon yes do the Exeter Chiefs fans get a little bit annoyed with every other fan in the country calling them their second favourite team not at all love it well this is the point one of the points I make is the next evolution we have to make is for teams to not like us because yeah. we're difficult not to like because we're good we play a lovely brand of rugby the boys are very courteous you know we, we were one of them teams that cleans the changing room afterwards the story is strong um we were always towards the top of the EQP players English qualified players uh, we're always towards the top of the fair play league we don't give away penalties if you look at our ball in play time, Chiefs have got, we're averaging about four minutes more ball in play than any team. Well, last year we were in the Premiership. You know, we, we want to entertain and play. And the game plan's pretty simple. We throw down a gauntlet. See, we are still using inclusive language. I'm five years retired, but I still think I'm one of them. <laughs> um, we, we throw down the gauntlet and say, we're just going to go for it um, and do our absolute best. And, yeah. and so people buy into that. Yeah, I've, I've got to say, my first experience of Exeter I went yes. to what, Bath versus Exeter about two years ago. It's the one where Dean Mum scored. Real good game. But the thing yeah. which I liked the most was the fans. I thought the fans were absolutely superb. Well, we're on a, we, we, we're on a journey. And, you know, a, a lot of the fans have been with the club for quite some time. Um, and every, every day, is a, there's, there's a pinch yourself moment. I mean, four years ago, we played Claremont O'Verne and got beaten by 40 points at home. And then last year, we got a bonus point win with the last play of the game against Claremont. And every year, there's, there's more gifts being given to the players and it gets more and more exciting and, and, and the adventure continues. And as it's gone on, people get invested. I mean, the, the prime example I always use is Richard Creswell down in the southwest of England. A couple of years ago, we had some pretty heavy floods. Yeah. And on the TV from the Environment Agency, Richard Creswell is on the television. Yes, we've had floods at... Uh, uh, Cowley Bridge and the roads are going to be closed and the trains are going to struggle and blah, blah, blah. Very straight. Come a Saturday afternoon, he turns up at the rugby club. He's got his headdress on, his war paint on, and he's Oggy Man. And he's known as the Oggy Man. And whenever the Chiefs, wherever the Chiefs go, Oggy Man's there banging his drum with 20 people following him minimum. And he's, he's leading the tribe. And more and more people have had this, this metamorphosis into members of the tribe. And... It's just really good fun, and it's 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 when your team's going off and, and having these adventures, and you feel a part of it. Because one of the big things we've maintained at the Chiefs is the guys still have a lot of time and 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 are invested in the crowd as the crowd are invested in them. Yeah, which adds to the the, the special atmosphere we have. You know, the, the little half lap before the game, post game. You, you know, our superstars, the, the Knowles and the Slades, they'll be out for an hour signing autographs. Um, some of the other guys probably half an hour because not as many people want their autographs but if they could have been there for an hour they would and, and there's a huge accessibility and everyone's living it post game the boys will have an hour in the bar having a drink and a chat and a debrief with everybody so we're totally bought in yeah see I always thought that the Exeter fans might eventually turn into do you know those people that listen to bands, bands that were like unsigned previously, and then get a little bit bitter than yeah, yeah, when everyone saying, else? I, I, I knew them when they were, I knew them when yeah. they were playing Manchester in the cup, and Manchester forgot their kit. Yeah, I know the score. I mean, I'm uh, based up here in Manchester, and that is basically yeah. the profile of every Manchester United fan. Yeah, yeah. Well, surprisingly enough, most of the Manchester United fans are down here in in Devon and Cornwall. (laughs) (laughs) Manchester United or Liverpool fans? Yeah, or Korea or somewhere, you know. Yeah, yeah. It's it's all a bit peculiar. Well, mind you, five hundred million turnover this year, Manchester. Yeah, I read that the first club in in the UK to do it. That is bonkers, Um, and and it's it's one of the one of the big challenges I see for rugby over the next few years is as money starts to come in that we don't follow some of the bonkers moves that, that, that soccer has I did a really good podcast with I say really good what I mean to say is oh, you, Steve, you're doing a really good one yeah. now. this is possibly the best one Jamie 100% it is <laughs> I did a very promising one with uh, with Steve Vaughan of Gloucester yes and some of the financial stuff that, that he told me was very interesting also very eye-opening just to put it into context uh, Leon Rugby Club spent 22 million on their playing squad, no, sorry, not the playing squad, on their playing operation. So that's absolutely everything. Yeah. Gloucester Rugby Club turned over 18 million. Now, I always yeah. think of Gloucester Rugby Club as one of the bigger ones in the UK. Yeah. And yet, it's not actually as much as the French team that just got promoted. Yeah. It's... Yeah, but the French team's bonkers. And you've got to take all these French figures with a pinch of salt because a lot of the clubs are collection sportive. So they will have a tennis section and a patong section and, and basketball and all sorts associated. And they're, 
the, the actual figures they spend on the players is probably inflated beyond what's going on in the UK. Oh, right. Not as much as, as you're often led to believe. Oh, so they're running the cycling club and everything else? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Got um, you. So they do spend more money categorically, and that's why players go over there. But it's not it's not a huge amount more. And awesome. the other thing is now a lot of guys are looking at it and going with the you know the attritional nature of the top fourteen. You know they played like a forty six week season last year, uh, or whatever it was. Oh yeah, there's I a mean, lot of there's a lot of guys going. If I go over there, yes, I get the money, but I'm going to absolutely battered by a load of Georgian mutants. Exactly um, right. And w- w- what cost my life? So. When the English Premiership season stops and the summer tours stop, we still podcast on Egg Chasers each and every week. And we're yes. looking for our hit of rugby. And then you realise that the top 14 hasn't stopped. And yeah. then it feels like you're only six weeks down the road. And then the, the top 14 starts up again. It's, yeah, no. it's insane. It is, yeah. Um, so they have to spend a bit more money. They have to have bigger squads. They do get a slightly... Mother's Day is around the corner. Find the perfect gift for the mom in your life with a stunning piece of jewelry from Blue Nile. From timeless pearls to dazzling gemstones, Blue Nile has something she'll adore. Need a fast? Most items can ship overnight. Plus, enjoy guaranteed free shipping and returns. Don't miss our special Mother's Day deals. Save big on the season's most beautiful trends. For a limited time, get up to 50% off by going to BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me, because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates, like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. A better deal with the, the being TV and what have you on the, the broadcasting side of things as well. Um, mm. But I don't know. I was over there for, for a brief tenure, um, and it is it is bonkers. And I suppose it was ten years, please, 10, 12 years ago now. Well, you're on, you're on the commercial side, Chris. Um, yes. Do you think there's a genuine argument to say maybe a little less rugby could be commercially beneficial? It's difficult. I think the Lions have, have thrown up the really interesting uh, challenge. Mm. Um, because because I think that one of the problems we've got and one of the problems that the Northern Hemisphere struggles with is you have different factions with different agendas and the Southern Hemisphere does so much better because it's all for the parent union Yeah. Uh, and, and when we went professionally, professional up here I, I almost argue against my own position to some extent the clubs took the power away from the unions um, and, and it's brilliant it's fantastic and the club game is, is strong but but perhaps you have the vested interest of the RFU, you have the vested interest of the clubs, you have the vested interest of something like the Lions. Mm. And with the commercial challenges that they all face, it doesn't quite fit as well. So something has to give. It's an interesting one because you are right that the Southern unions are far more focused on the end result, producing a good national team. But actually, outside of New Zealand, it doesn't seem to be working too well. And the club game, again, outside of New Zealand, Mm-hmm. It's pretty shambolic. I mean, you've got empty stadiums, you know, you've got the Golden Lions playing or whatever they're called, and the stadium's not full, and they're the second best team in all of Super Rugby. So mm-hmm. I, I actually think that the Premiership, probably out of all of them, has it right. I, well, I, I disagree slightly. I think New Zealand's got it absolutely right. Um, but then culturally, it's their number one sport, and there's nothing else um, competing with it. I would, yeah, undoubtedly, when it comes to the national team, yeah, you know, you're going to really have to put the problem, I think, the, the other thing is, it's, it, it's culturally engaged. Every bugger plays rugby down there, mm. um, whereas we've probably got more of a spectator culture. So I see where you're coming from. Commercially, I think you're absolutely right. I think commercially, we've got it sewn up, up up in the north, and that's why they all come up here. But it, what it, what is it we're looking to achieve from rugby? Is it just the commercial aspect, and that's it? In which case, yes, we're probably right, and let's make more money and let's flog the players to death. If, however, we're looking at perhaps the player welfare and um, actual more people engaged in the game, playing the game. There's an alternate view. Mm. I see. The problem is, I argue against myself so much because I'm a massive ex- fan of an exponent of Northern Hemisphere rugby. I, I think it, the answer's got to be you've, less got, games. you've got to say what is the ultimate goal? What do you want to achieve? I think from the professional game, it's got to be short, sharp, very high quality season. And then yes. from the amateur game, make it as long as you want. 
don't yeah. think we should have this sort of grey right. area. This is where we're agreeing. Yeah. I, I think there could be uh, a split and a schism in the game. And perhaps we should only have two or three tiers where players are getting paid at all. I think like only the one. The Championship is a really good league and it's very, very competitive. But not yes. many of them particularly even want to be professional. They certainly don't want to come up to the Premiership. I'll agree. I'll agree. And, and I, I've had ex- experience of it on the coalface as I've retired from the programme. Well, from the programme I played for Club Exmouth at level five. Mm. And we came up to level four. And suddenly we went from playing teams within an hour of us to playing teams five hours away. Yeah. Um, real challenge. Mm. Real challenge to get good old boys that are just turning out for a crack. To suddenly you start playing against teams with like uh, academy youngsters in who are pretty much pro players. Well, it's probably, um, it's probably a good place to transition that then into the role of Tony Rowe. And yeah. also, now, I don't know if I've got this wrong or right, Exeter isn't owned by Tony Rowe, is it? No, it's members-owned. Members-owned, right, okay. So, how unusual... Tony is... Rowe is a volunteer as the, as the chief executive. All of our directors are volunteers. Wow, is that right? Yep. So, is that unique to the Premiership? Because I don't think I've heard of that before. As far as I'm aware, yes. All right, so how does that work then? How do Exeter make decisions and all the rest of it? Uh, the membership have a meeting, uh, motions are put forward, uh, and invariably the members will vote upon those motions and directions. You know, the move to Sandy Park was, was opposed. Some of the members didn't want to go. <laughs> really? Yeah. Like, like you say, you, there was a few that, that liked that un, unsigned band from a Norwegian death metal group in the <laughs> 1970s. They liked the fact that we would play against Brixham and, and what have you, and that was what they wanted us to stay as, as opposed to where we are now playing against the top teams in the Northern Hemisphere. Well, um, one of my uh, co-hosts on Egg Chasers went to a Leicester game yeah. and it was a five o'clock kickoff on a Saturday. And he yeah. managed to get, this, get the tickets because the normal couple that always have the tickets refused to go to anything other than a three o'clock kickoff on a Saturday. <laughs> it's yeah. not like it's a Friday or like a Tuesday night under lights. But it the, was Saturday this at five. Is, this, is, this is the challenge that Rugby Union faces is the Corinthian ideal of William Webb Ellis sitting on a rugby ball, picking it up and running for the for the joy of it. And, and we wear our blazers and we're in the clubhouse afterwards. And the commercial challenge that says, I want you yeah. to play on Sunday at half past five. The Corinthian idea. You're definitely a philosophy student. Well, yeah, but that, that's what, <laughs> see, this is the part of rugby that I'm loving again. I'm back into this now. Yeah. Because I, I turn out for Exmouth second team and it's absolutely brilliant. After every game we have a court session, it now costs me to play rugby. It costs me, <laughs> I've got to pay my membership for the club which I haven't paid yet. Sorry, Jan, if you're listening. And um, after every game, we, we have rules within our games. There's a chap by hooker, Grant Vaughan Atkins, you can't pass the Grant. Anyone passes the Grant, it's a pound fine. <laughs> I bet um, he loves that. Any knock-ons, are pound, uh, Grant thinks it's brilliant. You're only allowed to pass the Grant if it's a two-on-one. Um, any knock-on is a fine. Any penalty is a fine. Um, if, there's, uh, if you don't win your own scrum ball, it's a fine. It's bonkers. So after a game, we sit down, a few jugs of beer, and we're all throwing pounds in the kitty, and then we have a social in December on the back of it. And I just, that for me is is so much about what what makes rugby cool. I couldn't agree more. So yeah, that is slightly different from a group of guys that are wearing GPS monitors, heart rate monitors, they're getting body fat tested once a month. Um, they've got their diets absolutely down pat, um, and they're, they're turning out against a team from the south of France. Can I just inquire a little bit more about the membership then? So, like, how often do the membership meet? Is there sort of some grand plan put forward by Rob Baxter or Tony Rowe or someone? And then is there some vote on if it's accepted or how does it actually the cl- work? The club, is, the club is pretty much steered by the executive. But if there's any big decision needs to be made, it has to go to the, the members. So we have annual general meeting. And then if needs be, there's extraordinary, extraordinary general meetings as well. Right. OK. What sort of th- stuff would go to the uh, Stadium development. So we did, a, two years ago, we added a few thousand seats to the stadium, doubled the capacity of the conference and banqueting, which is the, the business within the business. And that, that had to go to the membership to make sure they were happy for it to take place. Because we, we had to issue a preferential bond in order to make it happen. Another thing that Exeter have done incredibly well over the last few years is bringing players who are good players, and, but they've made them really, really good. I, I'll give you an example. Uh, Thomas Waldron, James Short, Ollie Woodburn had a good season last year. What is it about Exeter that enables them to do that? Right, in the sanctum then. Um, my, I played at Oral with a chap called Mike Howe. Mm-hmm. Mike Howe retired, became a player agent. And I knew Mike as my friend. And he represented me. And he was now retired from agency. But I had a good chat with him. And he said, recruitment at Exeter Chiefs is second to none. 
Rob will go, for example, he wants a second row. So he send his details, he send out to all the agents and after a second row. They'll all send in the CVs of the, of the players he likes, of, of they of they want to re, of represent him. Rob will go, he'll pick five players. I want details on five of them. They'll then send um, three videos of their players to Rob. He'll code up the video, everything the player does, catch, pass, tackle, rook, maul, scrum, line out. He'll look through the coded clips. He'll pick the three he likes the most. He'll invite them in for a medical mm-hmm. and he'll meet with them. And he'll have a discussion with them as who they are as a man. Do they like going out and having a drink? Are they family men? What are, what are they like as human beings? On the back of that, he'll sit with the blokes and he'll say, right, this is where you're strong. This is where you're weak. This is where I believe I can improve you. This is where you'll get more enjoyment from your rugby. And so when he, when he recruits a player, he's not just going, I've seen him on the telly. He looks good. He might fit. He understands how they play, what they're good at, what they're bad at, how they live their life. Are they going to fit in with the critical mass at the Exegese, how our boys behave? And then he will, he will, he will improve them. And, and, and you can see this improvement takes place because he understands the player and where they're coming from. Um, and, and we're massive on the skills. You know, we've got Ricky Pello, our skills coach, another former chief as well. We've got to be in the boot room here. There's a lot of guys that, that lived and breathed it, so they get it. Yeah. Um, any of the boys that want upskilling, Ricky, one of the most innovative coaches I've ever seen. Um, and innovative because sometimes he gets it wrong. And I remember we were doing drills with Ricky and he goes, lads, crap drill, we'll stop this, we'll do something else. <laughs> he himself is constantly learning as well. Right. Um, and it's, it's a really strong learning environment we've got down here. So the guys don't come. And, and we were perhaps, you know, there's, there's been a lot of, oh, is it luck or do you make your own luck? When we were battling in the champion, championship, one of the big clubs in the championship at the time was Worcester. And Worcester's blueprint was just to sign megastars, chuck them in, and hope they did it right. Remember, they, they had the they had six-way stadium. Yeah. For years, it didn't happen for them. And perhaps we were next to them and seeing that if you've got a group of guys that are totally bought in, that individually are nowhere near as good, but they, they love each other and they fight for each other, they're going to do a hell of a lot better than superstars that don't give a tinker. So Rob makes sure the boys come in and fit well. But then the example I use is when Chris Bentley retired, who most people haven't heard of, we signed Dean Munn. So... Yeah. When the journeyman left, we signed a 33-cap international who bought into the ethos straight away, so, but was also willing to to learn and improve as well. So I was very upset to see him go back to Australia. Very upset. I was too, but I'm I'm hopeful that the, the chap we've got following him up, Dave Dennis, is going to be equally as good. I mean, physically, he looks pretty much the same. Totally invested, good Aussie boy. And I think, you know, we, we've given him three years, so we're backing him to be something special for us. I mean, you said before about, do you make your own luck or, or is it luck? I mean, I think we're actually have got so incredibly lucky mm-hmm. is actually appointing Rob in the first place. And the reason I say that is to still be in charge of the club from, I yeah. mean, he got appointed at what, second division? Yeah. So everything must have evolved, every strategy, everything. Well, the, yeah, but up the, until the, the big thing day. with Rob is he learns and he learns fast and he doesn't repeat mistakes. And he was also very lucky uh, this is this is the only thing that for me that I'd say he's been lucky is he was appointed when we were in that position. Yeah. Um, because he was able to learn and cut his teeth with no expectation, and we we finished sixth in the league when he was the when he came in as part of the coaching staff, and Pete Drew was parachuted on top as director of rugby, and so Rob was coaching his main brief was coaching the forwards first team coach, and then as time's gone by, his, his brief has expanded, but he himself has constantly evolved, constantly learned and adapted. And, you know, when we came into the Premiership, we we're going to get relegated. Well, we didn't. Not, not only we, we finished eighth our first year in the pre, in Prem, um, but the pressure wasn't on him to win something. Yeah. And so he, he's evolved with the role. Um, and, you know, Claremont's a prime example. They beat us by 40 points. And then two years later, he's evolved as a coach. And the same juggernaut comes rolling into town and he's adapted us to, so that we can beat them. And not only beat them, take a bonus point off them. So easy to rest on your laurels and say, yeah. oh, I've got my systems or I've got my certain plays and I'll stick yeah. with that because it's always worked. And I just think that's the, the, the one area where you just got a little bit lucky there. Mm, well, he's, he, he learns quick. You know, another example, we played first game of the Premiership, we played Gloucester. Mm-hmm. And Gloucester beat us. Oh, sorry, that's wrong. We played Gloucester, first game of the Premiership. Everyone says they're going to beat us. We beat Gloucester. I think it was Red Path afterwards. It's all gone wrong. We're going to have to have a Spanish Inquisition. We've got to look into these problems. We can't be losing to Exeter. And they lost three of the next four. Had a crap year. A few years later, Red Path's gone. Um, 
few few weeks later in the season, we played Saracens at Vicarage Road. Brett Sturgis scores one of the best tries in the history of rugby union. Loose head prop, runs it in from 40 yards, scores in the corner. Um, we beat Saracens. Mark McCall, post-game, tough game of rugby. Exeter Chiefs did better than us. They won, we lost. Not a problem, we'll roll on to next week. And Saracens end up competing in the final. They lose, but they're there or thereabouts. And um, Robbie's seen this. And if you watch his interviews post-game, he doesn't live the emotional roller coaster that the fan lives, that I myself, uh, as, as a member of the back room, live. He's very steady, very calm. Um, and, and, you know, that, that's a learn that he's had because when he was a player, he was firebrand, he'd, he'd beat everybody up. Um, he'd, he'd, he'd bite your studs if you were stamping on him. <laughs> it was unbelievable. And so to see that he's just so calm, cool and collected, it's this evolution that's constantly taking place with the man. I'm, I'm one of his biggest fans. Yeah. But, as you can tell, probably. I always thought, actually, there might be a danger of losing him to England. Got to win some first. Just after the World Cup. No, nah, we've got to win some first. Lancaster what, was... What, two... Lancaster was hotly tipped, super coach, doing well, um, goes and takes over England, and at the real furnace of elite level rugby, he was found wanting. Rob's still cutting his teeth, he's still learning, and, and, and I think he's with us until we win Summit at least. Once we've won Summit, perhaps he might have a sniff, but at the moment, I think he's, he's with us. Demanding crowd, two promotions, continual Heineken Cup appearances, and yeah. uh, still want more. Um, I think I think Rob's called it. You know, we we had a, when we got promoted to the Premiership, and he spoke to all the fans, and he said, "You've got to get ready for disappointment now, guys, um, because you know we're not going to win every game. We're, we're going to go and lose heavily. We're going to we're going to have to to have the hardship of it not working in order for it to work. Because very rarely does it just happen for you straight away. Mm. Um, and I think he he himself would like to do something. It's his, it's his boyhood club. You know, as I say, all the teams from the Chiefs since 1871. There's pictures of Rob when he started as a 19-year-old. He had 10 years as captain of the first team. Um, and it, it is in his blood. And I think England will be calling, but but not for the time being. I, th- I think England are in good hands. I think Eddie Jones is ace. I think he's done very, very well. And I, I also think perhaps Borthwick might be the, the pretender, in the, uh, well, the, the successor in, in the wings waiting on there. He is an absolute rugby starter. Well, this is interesting because I do see that Borthwick is a rugby starter. Everyone talks very, very highly about him. But I wouldn't like to think he's the successor, just purely based on what you said then about Rob, he needs to win something first. I think that's quite a wise comment, actually. Uh, So maybe a stint in the club game, because I think that's what Stuart Lancaster lacked. He didn't have a stint in in the club game. Oh, totally. That that was my feeling. Lancaster was a cracking chalk and talk, but but, but the actual furnace of competition where the top end men against each other, he hadn't hadn't done that. And I, I still don't get my head around the World Cup. You know, he'd, he'd, he'd done Burgess, and Burgess was wrong, but he'd done it, and he's there. And we're just edging Wales, and we were never going to beat Wales by a lot when you got Burgess running the defensive line. But he's running the defensive line, and then with 20 minutes left, he takes him off and puts forward on. And you go, why have you done that? It was almost like a coach agreeing. It's like, I'll put you on with 20 minutes to play regardless. Yeah, I mean, I'm actually a Welshman, so it wasn't too bad for me. But <laughs> I can tell you right now, we were not likely to win that game. And actually, we were not a high-scoring team. We're an attritional yeah. You know, hard working side so all you need to do is score a handful of points and we're dead but Barrett is in that I mean I've got a ton well, of respect we, for Barrett we were the only team in that pool that got a bonus point win on the Fijians with Ford and it was it was it was lacking accuracy but we were scoring and mm. we changed it up but, but having changed it up stick with your change up because it was it was edging the game uh, hey, 2020, 2020 hindsight's amazing though isn't it you know I, I'm the best coach in the world after the game no, we're all good solutions. The Burgess thing was incredibly brave. And yeah. we were hearing reports that, oh, he's done well in training camp. Oh, he's done. And mm. you think, this, this can't continue. Can this continue? He's not going to start him, is he? He's gonna, oh, he's going to start him, though. I know. And it just felt like it was inevitable. Like, oh, well, we've, t- we've taken him there. But, but, but coming, coming back to our earlier points, um, England suddenly signed a kit, kit deal with Canterbury. Canterbury's main brand ambassador, Sam Burgess. Ooh, I don't know. That's I don't a... know. I'm, 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 that's all I'll say. Oh, that's very interesting. I like that. All I'll say. But, <laughs> but, but you've just you've just got to have a think about what took place in that instance. Wow. Well, I will. And I will I'm think just, think about that long and hard. Yeah. Um, I might be totally wrong. <laughs> so, some of the things that take place, you just got to go. Well, why has that happened? Well, unfortunately, it's not been all your own way at the start of this season. <laughs> you don't have to tell me about it. Yeah. One of the things I was interested in finding out your view on is the... It almost feels like there's a bit of a handover going on in 
Exeter, and it also feels like they're evolving the game. So I always think, when I think of Exeter, I think of the the same team as last year, but a bit better. Yeah. The handover seems to be Slade Fistinson. Yeah. Uh, am I am I reading too much into this? Um, it seems that way, doesn't it? It does. I th- I, th- I think Steno is for me the the main man, and I think luck's been a, a ter- term we've used a fair times in this podcast. He's been dreadfully unlucky not to play international rugby. I completely agree. Um, I think that he's been the absolute backbone of this team. Well, he, he missed 28 minutes of Premiership rugby last year. Is that right? Something like that. They were saying when we played Wasps, he'd, he'd missed more Premiership rugby in that Wasps game than he had the whole of the previous season. That's incredible. Um, and, and, and Stino's one of the great evolving men you know, because we've got this thing, the hashtag, the originals. So there's Matt Jess, Tom Johnson, Gareth Steenson, Phil Dolman. Yeah. Played part of the championship. They're still in the Prem. They're still making it happen. And they've all evolved their game massively um, to, to maintain the standard of the extra Chiefs. Um, and, uh, you know, I'm, I'm, I wasn't good enough. And, and, and when, the, when the demands and, and the rigors got harder and stronger, I wasn't, I wasn't capable to do what these guys have done. And yeah. Steno went from this plump, Plump sort of journeyman fly off we signed from the Cornish Pirates to the golden boot in the Premiership last year. Yeah, I, I think with Steenson, you know, it's kind of the Irish are looking at him, oh, yeah, he's not proved himself yet. And then like, three years down the road or five years down the road, and it's almost too late because now they're going, well, well, he's a bit too old now, but he has proved himself. It's like, well, you've just missed out on a really, really good player. And you, yeah. and you could have used him too. I know. But, well, just as Ireland have lost out, Wales have Phil Dolman. Absolutely Rock right there. solid dollar. Rock solid every week. He's he's one of them guys that might not be your man of the match, but he's always in your top three. Um, and and that's that's possibly been one of the blessings the Chiefs have had is that some of our guys have just been haven't quite fitted in some capacity. You know, Hayden Thomas at nine, he was he was there or thereabouts with England for a few years, um, but but he didn't quite get the nod. He played in the game against the Barbarians and not much more. And we we've had a few of those guys that have that have been the backbone. But back to the Slady Steno thing. Robbie knows what he's doing. Um, I just know that this weekend, we're all still pretty relaxed down here because the truth is we were 12 points up against Wasps with 28 minutes to play and we were a little bit slack. And then you see what Wasps have gone and done to Leicester. So they're a pretty decent team. Yeah, Saracens are, I think, perhaps aiming to go and win everything. And, and they're like a juggernaut rolling and they've caught us a bit on the hop. And, you know, were it not for a, gifting them a 12-point head start going into the last 10 minutes, that game's in the balance. And then we, we throw a sloppy offload and they, you know, the, the score gets skittled out beyond what it should be. We, I think we were, I think it was something like 68% possession to us. Really? We were just, we were just a little bit profligate well, with the ball. You did go through a phase of sort of clawing your way back. Now, the scoreline yeah. doesn't actually suggest that you did. But I if know. you watch it, you think, hang on, there's something going on here. And yeah. I think you might have inadvertently shown a kind of blueprint of how you go about tackling Saracens. You move the first 10 minutes and yeah. that bit towards the end. There was some real good stuff. Well, it was, that was it. There was 12 points shipped in the first and, and seven points last play of the game. That's, that's the game. Beyond that, it's a, it's a tied game. Mm-hmm. And sadly, they are the champion team and that's what they do to you. Yeah, I think the, the feeling with us is... Quinn's is more of the barometer for where we're at. At Sandy Park, Saturday, three o'clock, we'll be sold out. We're expecting to win that. Yeah, I'd be, we I'd be surprised that. if you don't. We're back on track. Um, and, and, and then we'll see where we are. But our, our blueprint is, you know, the Chiefs is we throw the gauntlet down. Everyone goes flat out. We keep the ball on the pitch a lot longer than most teams. And we, we go to beat you that way. Just from a fan's point of view, then. What do you think the difference in the team is? How or how do you think the team dynamic changes when they do play Slade over Steenson? Or vice versa? From a fan's point of view, I think Steeno is your archetypal distributor of ten. He just wants to shift the ball on, he wants to kick the percentages, he, he's 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 rock solid, is exactly what he says. Slade he perhaps has got a little bit more X factor about him, but he's the Maverick. So Steno is he's going to give you a, and I'm speaking as a fan here, Steno is pretty much rock solid. He's going to perform every week. Slady's mercurial. One minute he's going to do something absolutely magical. Yeah. Um, but he's still got to get the consistency, the level of consistency that Steno gives you. Yeah, so that, that's, that's how I see it as a fan. 
Yeah, I think you're in a bit of a bind here. And the reason I think you're in a bit of a bind is because Slade is such a, a magnificent talent, you may end up playing him all over the back line without him ever settling down into one position. You, you've got to worry with the Austin Healy factor. Tell you the guy who currently plays, who I think is in the same position, has actually moved away from that, is Alex Good. Yes. I mean, I mean, he, should be the, he should be the England fullback every day of the week. If he's not the England fullback, he should be in the England team. I think he's, he's the best rugby player in the country. I agree. He's just I agree. unbelievable. He I, I think he's absolutely unbelievable. And Saracens adapt their game plan to, to help him play well. You know, whenever there's a kick goes up, watch the, the, their retreating players almost put themselves in certain positions so that Goud can run towards them and, and, and alter his attacking lines. But he is, his intuition, his understanding of the game, he's, he's one of those guys, the game slows down when he's on the ball. Yeah. He just he's, he's just seeing it. He's on page two and you're on page one. <laughs> yeah, I, I think he's he's very unlucky. But I've got a sneaky feeling that now England have got this nice solid base, they might want to branch out a bit, kind of a bit more of an evolution. And yeah. if they do, I, I think it could be good to you. I, I think you could be right. I think, I think we could see a fair, few, a fair few more Saracens in that England team at the moment. Hopefully with a few Chiefs. What's the situation with, with Noli at the moment? Because I've noticed him on the sidelines for two games. Is he just carrying injured his, on, injured his thumb on the England tour. Oh. That's... Uh, so he's had an off. He, he, he's, he's chomping at the bit. He wants to be back training, but the physios are holding him back a bit. So he's, he's there or thereabouts now. Oh, fantastic. Right, well, I've kept you for, what, 50-odd minutes now. So hugely appreciate you coming on. No uh, with a bit of luck, I can have you on a little later in the season as well to catch up yeah. about all things Chiefs. So thank you very much. Really JB, enjoyed it. Absolute pleasure. Love talking rugby. That was Chris Bentley. I hope you enjoyed it. Please remember to look us up on Twitter at Rugby Dungeon, myself at Jay Beardmore. And if that's not enough rugby for you, why not the Egg Chasers Rugby Podcast as well, which is at Rugby Podcast. Remember, go and support our sponsors, Field and Flower. Use our code Rugby20. And I'll be bringing you a brand new rugby guest of some sort next week. Thanks again. Bye-bye. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. 